Hi, my name is Corey Calvin, a former corporate executive turned lifestyle entrepreneur. On each episode of my podcast, I interview brave people who have turned their struggles into extraordinary success, and they will share tips and strategies to help you live your best life. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Are you ready to be inspired? Let's jump in. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to my podcast. I'm Corey Kelvin, and today I want to discuss a topic that probably has been one of the largest life unlocks of my adult life and the key to my success. And those words and those topics are mindfulness and meditation. And I have a real treat for you. I'm going to interview one of my mindfulness gurus, Dr. Chris Kroniak, someone who taught me how to go deeper with my practice. So my goal with this conversation is to help you learn how mindfulness can lead you on a path of ultimate fulfillment and help answer questions you may have around the topic of meditation. But before we dive into our conversation, let me quickly introduce Dr. Kroniak. Dr. Kroniak is a licensed clinical psychologist with 37 years of clinical experience. He received his doctorate in counseling psychology from Loyola University of Chicago. Dr. Kroniak specializes in integrating mindfulness into his, into his work as an individual and couples therapist. He has completed advanced training in mindfulness-based stress reduction, MBSR, and we'll talk about that here in our conversation, at the University of Massachusetts Medical Center, as well as Yoga Chicago's Yoga Teachers Training Program. Dr. Kroniak is one of the most experienced and active MBSR instructors in the Midwest region. He has taught the MBSR program and the graduate MBSR program for the past 25 years in hospitals, clinics, corporate settings, and other locations throughout the Chicagoland area, and now probably the world with being virtual. So Dr. Kroniak, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to chat with me today. Corey, it's so good to be here. I, I, I love your term, uh, Unlock Your Life. And yeah, our last virtual MBSR program was international. We had people in Berlin and Mexico and all over the country. It was great. That's amazing. No, so let's dive in. I just want to give you a quick background about how, you know, how this all came about, because I think for me, this topic is so important and I think goes untapped with a lot of people out there. And, and, and mainly because, or, or, or partly in my assumption here, is that maybe it's way too intimidating to take a dive into. And so I hopefully, hopefully this conversation will allow others to see these words in a different way. And obviously you're the specialist here. So let me, you know, chat with you about it. You know, I've been meditating now on a daily basis for the most part over the past 10 years, but before I began to understand the benefits of daily practice, you know, I gotta be honest, those words to me, meditation and mindfulness were so intimidating. I just thought, you know, those are, those are something for the, some, somebody that's super stressed out or maybe someone that's spastic or needs to like calm down, right? You think about parents saying, hey, calm down. Um, you know, I really didn't know what I was doing when I started out, but I realized that there may be some sort of benefit. So I took a, I took a risk, right? I took a step forward and said, okay, maybe this is going to help me in some way. You know, in my career early on, you know, I heard those words, but I have to be honest, since no one in my family or immediate circle ever discussed these words or sharing any info with me, you know, I never thought about it. It's kind of like our origination story. If we learn from our parents and that then therefore we become, if no one in your family has ever discussed the word meditation or mindfulness, well, guess what? You're probably not going to touch it unless something along the way triggers you to do so. You know, I personally, I thought meditating was something only Buddhists did. I thought it was, I thought it was religious based. I thought it was part of a religious practice and growing up in a Catholic church. Now, I guess, considering myself a recovering Catholic, we're not going to go down the religious part of this, but you know, for me, I began getting turned off by religion in a, in a, in a different way. And so I thought meditation, you know what, that's a religious thing. That's not for me, but since I had heard about it in my corporate world and corporate career and doing my own research, I began realizing that top executives around the world had begun incorporating mindfulness into their daily practice, and their daily routine. And as one of the things in their life that they attributed to their personal and career success, 
you know, at one time I wanted to be the CEO of a large company. And in fact, I became a corporate executive before leaving my career over three years ago. And I have to be honest, I think mindfulness was one of the biggest components to my success. So, you know, Chris, I'm going to call you Chris, you know, Dr. Kroniak, maybe here on out. Let me, let's start with the basics and work our way up here because I know, I know a lot of people can be intimidated by this word, you know, meditation or mindfulness. So maybe you could help us understand and start us off with, you know, those two words and just give us like the basic meanings of what those, what those are. Sure. I'd be happy to. So meditation is a really generic term for any practice that um, engages <clears throat> your mind in sustained attention. So it's an exercise, a practice that activates your attentional capacity and uh, whereby you are focusing your attention on one object or a number of objects, all right, to basically stabilize your, your attentional capacity. Uh, meditation in this country, probably most people uh, uh, have heard of TM, Transcendental Meditation. That was really the, the first large-scale practice in, in this country. Um, and then in the 60s, Jack Kornfeld, Sharon Salzberg, and Joseph Goldstein uh, came back from the Southeast Asia and began teaching at IMS, Sensei Meditation Society. And Jack peeled off and went to California and founded Spare Rock. Um, so they, they began teaching. Uh, and so uh, meditation centers were, were cropping up. And then the big event really was uh, uh, in 1979, uh, John Kabat-Zinn started the MBSR program, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. And it has taken off and it's now an international uh, phenomenon. Uh, so meditation, uh, again, generic term, think in terms of sustained attention, mind training. Uh, yoga as well. You know, yoga, there's a very powerful uh, meditative component in yoga. Yoga has been around for a very long time uh, here in this country. And again, sustained attention, mind training to, to yoke the mind and the body. So generic term, uh, mindfulness is, is different. There's a lot of confusion about what mindfulness is. Mindfulness is a state of being. It is not something you do. It's a state of being. We practice meditation to develop our capacity to engage in that state of being, to rest in that state of being more often. So the definition of mindfulness is, and I'll use John Kabat-Zinn's definition first, it's moment-to-moment non-judgmental awareness, but I'll add to that. It's moment-to-moment non-judgmental awareness, which is infused with a sense of openness, gentleness, curiosity, and always, always through the framework of compassion. So mindfulness is a state of being. We meditate or practice yoga or any any activity like that where we're sustaining our attention to develop the capacity for more mindful awareness. So I'll put it this way. The the best way to differentiate is think of what autopilot is. Autopilot is when you're driving down the highway and you wake up to the realization you have no memory of having driven the last few miles. It's a very sobering moment. That's autopilot or you're in the middle of a conversation and you don't know what the other person just said because your mind's not present. All right, that's autopilot. Your mind's either in the future or in the past. <clears throat> and because of our uh, the structure of our minds and the way our minds work and the negativity bias, our minds are always in the future trying to predict what's going to happen. And they use past information that they project in the future to do that. All right, you cannot be present in the moment if you're doing that, if you're an autopilot. So mindfulness is grounding yourself in this moment what is happening in my body, what's happening with my emotions, very importantly, what is actually going on inside my mind. So mindfulness allows us to look directly at the mind, drop into the body and experience the body as it is in this moment. So I I love that. And I think people listening may be like, whoa, like, what does all that mean? Like, why is this so powerful? Can you just give us, you know, a, a quick idea of why mindfulness, this state of being is so powerful and maybe even give us some benefits of how it can help in, in someone's life that someone sure. may be listening to this, like, okay, I get it, but why should I practice that? Sure. Sure. And we could spend the next five hours talking about the research. <laughs> There's a plethora of studies on mindfulness, often using MBSR as the intervention. Let me, let me preface what I'm going to say with this. You and I have this moment right now recording this podcast, and your listener has this moment right now. For you, for me, and your listener, there are a discrete number of moments from this moment to your last out breath on this earth. 
Think about it for a moment. What will create the richest, most meaningful and powerful experience of life for you, for me, for all of us? It's how deeply and richly you live those moments. That is absolutely dependent upon our capacity to be present to them. We're on, when we are on autopilot or, or making ourselves anxious or afraid or depressed because of, of this projective catastrophic thinking, that's not being mindful. <clears throat> that's just being reactive. Mindfulness is all about mindful responding, not reactivity. So the, it's profoundly powerful, okay, to understand that if I'm going to live my life richly and fully through really happy, joyous moments, but also painful moments, difficult moments, I have to be grounded in the moment. Okay, that's the only way to resource the true capacity that you have, your psychological, mental, and emotional capacity by being grounded in the moment. So that should be enough right there. But what the, what the research shows us again and again and again is the, uh, one of the most powerful aspects of the mindfulness practice in terms of health-related issues and psychological issues, right, is that it decreases our sympathetic reactivity right? The autonomic nervous system, the stress response, sympathetic reactivity, the relaxation response, the parasympathetic response, all right? What meditation and mindfulness helps us do is consistently decrease our sympathetic reactivity so we can respond mindfully and activate the parasympathetic reaction. We know, we know through decades and decades of PNI psychoneuroimmunological research, we know that when we are chronically stressed, okay, chronically stressed, we have elevated levels of cortisol and pro-inflammatory cytokines in our bodies. This creates inflammation. We now know the chronic disease, chronic illness, so many of these, these illnesses, disease processes are mediated through the inflammatory process. So it's, I'm glad that you went there because I had some thoughts about the medical side and the science. I, to me, it's so fascinating about the brain and you obviously we're not going to spend you know, five hours going deeper into it, but it, I, I want to relate a personal story of something you just said and relate it to maybe something tangible for the listener, because I think it's sometimes try to equate to what you said to an example, a real life example. You know, I, I coach a lot of different people on holistic wellness. And, you know, for, for me, helping other people achieve their fitness goals and wellness goals is something that I'm really passionate about doing. And this actually relates to the story about how I found you um, through a personal trainer of mine. When I worked at Gatorade and I, I created a wellness program for all the employees at Gatorade, really to live the brand, right? Gatorade's a brand of helping athletes achieve, you know, have, perform on the playing field. Um, or wherever that platform is. And so I hired this personal trainer to begin developing individualized training programs for people. And of course, I took part in it because I love challenge my body in different ways and being fit and being well. And I think that leads to many other things. And I was following the plan that you know he had given me and working out four to five times a week and eating everything the nutritionist that I've hired provided to me but my body was not adjusting accordingly. It was really bizarre, right? I'm like, I'm putting in the time, I'm lifting heavy weights, my muscle fibers are breaking down, I'm eating foods to fuel my body to allow me to grow those muscles, but nothing was happening. And I actually find this happen a lot with people that say, Corey, I wanna lose 10 to 15 to 20 pounds, I'm going to the gym five to six times a week, I'm eating really well, but I'm not losing any, any body fat. So what happened to me is my trainer sat me down and began asking me questions. And he said, okay, so you're working out really hard. You're doing all the right things. You're following the plan. You're eating well, but your body is not changing. So he's like, let me ask you a couple more things because there's, in my opinion, and this is him, four components to holistic change on a, on a, from a body perspective and wellness. And of course, we're not going to go in and the merits of that, but he thought he'd said it was nutrition. It was sweat, which is, you know, obviously exercising. And then he asked me, he said, well, how was your sleep? And I said, oh, that's pretty good. I get six to seven, eight hours a night, depending on what the night is. He's like, okay, is it good sleep? And I said, yeah, it's pretty good sleep. I don't really wake up much. And he's like, okay. The fourth component is stress. He's like, are you going through any stressful moments in your life right now? And I thought to myself, okay, I got to be honest with him because <laughs> I want him to help me. I want to help myself. Ironically, at that moment, over the past, I want to say like six months, even three months, I had switched roles at my job and moved into a, a very ambiguous position 
And so the, my, I, I really was struggling every day to like learn and understand what the position was. So I was, my job was kind of stressful at that moment. And on top of that, a relationship I had had for three years had ended. And I was struggling with, you know, going through that, that very personal thing in my life. So my life was super stressful. And my trainer looked at me and he said, well, and of course, I didn't know any of this at the time. He said, well, and this relates exactly to what you just said. When your body's exposed to high levels of stress, right, the cortisol spikes in the body. And I'm, you said it more eloquent than I could. But he said something like it prevents your muscles from adjusting or, or, or those that are, you know, my goal was to build, build lean muscle mass. But some people want to lose body fat, but they can't because cortisol is spiked in, in the body. So can you maybe dive into that just a little bit more? Because I'm curious, I think that's something that is directly related to stress. And when you said something earlier about disease, I mean, you're talking like long-term diseases that could really create big problems in the body. I mean, I think that's what you're referring to. So maybe help us understand like when your body is stressed out or your mind is stressed out, that actually directly impacts your overall health and could prevent you from achieving health goals, right? Sure, absolutely. And that's a great story. Um, yeah, so there, there are two types of stress, right? The full-blown fight-flight response and actually fight-flight, freeze, or faint, right? The, the, the fight-flight, freeze, faint. Those are your four options. And that's an evolutionary adaptation. Um, generally, that's not the problem, though. It, it's a, a, a very quick response, and it goes away re relatively rapidly. So uh, usually no long-term damage to the body because of the fight-or-flight response, unless it's happening to you all the time. No, the, the stress response that, that erodes the quality of our lives and, and our health and kills us is the chronic stress response. So like you were experiencing in your story, um, elevated levels of cortisol and, and other stress hormones, but primarily the corticosteroids, and think it's an evolutionary adaptation. So think about it. If you're if you're lost in the in, in the forest for a week, or you're trapped in your car, or you're trekking across a desert with not enough food and water, um, your body kicks into high gear to save you, right? To to protect you, and so your body's going to hold on to all the nutrients it can, okay, all the salt and all the fat and all the calories it can, all right. And <clears throat> there are a variety of changes that happen in the body to help you survive. Now, you weren't trekking through the desert. You were just undergoing stress. Right. But your body doesn't know the difference. Mm. And that's why, for example, that's why starvation dice can't work. Yeah, you can drop some weight, but then you'll get it right back because your body wants to hold on to all the calories and fat it can. So, uh, again, what happens in the chronic stress response is you are using up, and I'll, I'll simplify this uh, greatly, but you're using up the, the body's resources okay, that would normally be used for reparative functions, growth and reparative functions. And so the body just doesn't have that, doesn't have that, that uh, those resources available, in addition to this very, very deleterious inflammatory process going on in the body. So we know that this is really what creates the long-term health problems. And it also shortens your telomeres, the caps on the chromosomes, which have everything to do with aging. And uh, we know that all sorts of very, very negative things happen because of chronic stress. And the other big problem with stress is, and, and you're a good example of it, uh, you were living in it and you didn't know you were living in it. Mm -hmm. I, I love the, the classic two, two goldfish in a fishbowl story, right? One goldfish says to the other, hey, something funny in the water today. And the other goldfish says, what water? <laughs> and so that, that can be us. We can live in this, this, this sea of stress and not acknowledge it and recognize it and we internalize it just to keep going and eventually something breaks. We all have a weak link in our bodies. It's called the diathesis stress model and whatever that weak link is, it eventually breaks and we have to then pay attention to what's going on in our lives and our stress. That's fascinating. You know, and I know, I know we could, you could probably talk hours and hours about the, the science and research around it. But I think my point here, and I look, I use a very specific story about fitness and achieving a body goal, right? Versus maybe a mind goal. And something I learned through this process was like, I spent, spent so much time of my life trying to get my physical body in the shape that I wanted it to. And I neglected my mind. 
right? We think about our bodies and obviously I don't have to go into the aging process. We're naturally, our bodies are naturally going to break down over time. However, I'd like to think, you know, outside of any brain injury or any problem with our brain that our brain is going to, I mean, obviously the brain is going to go through an aging process as well, but the brain is going to continue to function while the body breaks down probably faster. And so I think that was for me, a big unlock to say like, why would I spend so much energy and time on my body and trying to get my body? And I, I still want to do that, but not spend equal amount, if not more time working out my mind. So that way it's with me for the long term. And I'm, I'm sure you find a lot of people in your, you know, it, it, with your practice that maybe do the same thing, that they're not really focusing on their mental aspect versus their physical aspect. I know a lot of bodybuilders and a lot of people in my life that really want to like look a certain way, but you know, would you, would you say that the mind is actually probably more powerful to work out than the body? Um, look, we, we've been splitting the mind and the body for a long time in, in Western medicine <clears throat> and every aspect of Eastern medicine tells you that there is no separation. Um, even, even the word yoga means to yoke the mind and the body. There is no separation. It's, it's all one system. And uh, in meditation, of course, we work directly with the mind. And when we, when you bring awareness to your body and so on, you're really working with your mind and your brain's capacity to, to control your body. So it's profoundly important to work with your mind, not just as you age. And we all know that as you age, you have to keep your mind uh, active and learn new things and so on to keep it uh, uh, healthy. But we need to work with our minds throughout our entire lifespans. I'll, I'll tell you a really interesting thing. Um, one, one piece of research, uh, they did functional MRIs of uh, MBSR participants' brains before and after. We're just talking eight weeks. And we could actually see morphological changes, you know, shifts in, in, in the size of different parts of the brain that are associated with sustained attention. And that, that is, it's like working a muscle. And of course, it's not that you have more neurons, it's that the, the connections between the neurons were denser and thicker. So you could actually see these changes in the brain just from eight weeks. So yes, we have to work with our brains and, and that's very much exactly what you're doing with meditation. But look, let me be very clear about something regarding meditation and mindfulness. And, and you remember this from the program. It's very paradoxical. If you make meditation into one more thing you do to work out your body and your mind, uh, it's going to fail. All right. It's very paradoxical. You don't get somewhere in meditation by trying to make something happen. Mindfulness is above all else, a way to be present to what is actually happening and to accept that and then to work with it skillfully, more skillfully. All right. But you first have to be able to accept and be present to what is actually happening, whether it's feeling good, feeling pain, being depressed, being anxious, feeling wonderful, whatever it is, opening to that experience. It's like a mirror held up to your total experience. Oh, look, look what's going on here. Oh, wow. Look at that. Look at that. I'm not going to push that away. I'm not going to grasp it. I'm going to accept the fact that this is what I have right now. Now, what would be skillful? How can I work with that? And you bring up something though. We talk about if something pops up in your mind and not to focus on something, I, I think and we can talk about this here in a second, how that takes specific training to, because, you know, it's so interesting. We go through our schooling, we go through life, but we're never trained our minds in this capacity to like allow our brains to be present. I mean, I don't, I never learned this in school. I never learned this in college. I honestly, I had to learn it on my own and through your program really taught me that. And so the story goes real quick, because I want to talk about MBSR. People are probably like, what does MBSR mean? You know, my trainer then recommended after he realized my body was so, my mind, my whole being was stressed out that I reach out to, to Dr. Kroniak and his MB, MBSR program in Chicago. Now, I had no idea what MBSR meant, um, and it took me a while to remember what the acronym stands for. So maybe, you know, Chris, you could explain to us, because this has been your practice and something that you are an expert at, not only in the Midwest, but around the world. Can you just explain... Describe to us what MBSR really is. And obviously you could probably talk about this for hours, but in a, in a nutshell, um, I know that wouldn't be giving it justice, but we'll go maybe into some of the components of that, but maybe quickly describe what MBSR stands for and why, again, this kind of is related to training your mind to achieve what we've been talking about. Sure. Absolutely. Thank you. You know, <clears throat> and as a preface to answering your question, 
yeah, I, I've taught over well over 2,000 people, and I can't tell you how many people, every single class, someone says exactly what you just said. Why, why wasn't this taught to us when we were kids? You know, and, and the good news is it, it is now. And many, many teachers are learning about mindfulness and actually bringing it into the classroom and their resources for parents to teach their young kids. Um, in 1979, John Kabat-Zinn, um, recently uh, freshly minted PhD in microbiology from MIT, uh, went to uh, UMass Medical Center and John was a meditator and he started this, uh, you know, lunchtime meditation sessions and it was hugely successful. And so he developed the, the MBSR program and launched it in 1979. Um, it quickly became a, a tremendously important uh, uh, intervention at UMass Medical Center. And he gave up microbiology and he focused full time on developing this program. So mindfulness-based stress reduction is a, um, a secularized uh, presentation of Buddhist principles, all right? And it uh, uh, utilizes various meditation techniques, the body scan, sitting meditation, walking meditation, uh, informal practices, and, <clears throat> and very importantly, yoga. <clears throat> so the, the thing about it is it teaches formal practice, which is what you've learned to do, meditate, practice yoga, tai chi, qigong, any of those disciplines. Uh, but then it, it really focuses on the informal practice. And that's the important thing. You and I are having an informal practice right now by being mindfully aware of what's, what's going on inside our bodies and minds. So mindfulness, uh, for an informal practice of mindfulness, you are simply dropping into your awareness of whatever you're doing, wherever you are, whatever is happening, okay? Uh, how does it feel to drive your car and not turn the radio on? How does it, what does your toothbrush taste like? Your toothpaste taste like what uh, in the shower in the morning, take a mindful shower instead of planning your day. And the, it goes on endlessly. It's grounding yourself in the moment of your experience in an open, gentle, curious way. Okay. Being fully present. So that's really the, the, the uh, focus of the MBSR program is to teach you how to be mindful throughout your day-to-day -day life, how to deal with pain, how to deal with anxiety, stress, tension, uh, depression, how to deal with all of these things, uh, because this is what happens to us, right? This is what we experience day-to-day. -day. So, and so each week, it's an eight-week program that has an all-day retreat, each week uh, takes a different focus in terms of what to work on, your relationship issues, how to work with your mind, how to work with your emotions, how to work with your body and so on. No, I mean, I, you know, just you describing it brought me back to the program when I entered your program. I don't exactly know what year it was. It was probably like 2014 or 15. I think that was around the time I took it. Um, but honestly, it's something that I think about on a weekly basis, um, if not daily basis. And I think back to that eight-week program and the things that I learned and I you know, you said a couple things about being present in every single moment of your life. And some people might think people think that's a chore. And in a way, again, goes back to all the things we've talked about in this podcast about allowing, you know, allowing you to be present in life and to live a more rich, fulfilled life. And I think I go back to even one of the things I didn't even think about is, you know, you gave us a raisin. And, um, and I don't want to give anything away, but I mean, I, this is something that you would experience in this type of program. And you told us to, you know, to sniff it, to look at it, to maybe hear it, um, maybe take a little nibble, right? Even before we even tasted it. And all of a sudden we're paying attention to all those things that are happening just in, in eating this raisin. Um, and then even while we're chewing to pay attention to what is happening, and for me, that was a profound moment because I had never thought about while I'm chewing my food and eating that I could be mindful. I could be present. You know, we're always distracted and I watch TV if I'm eating dinner or talking to somebody else, but to allow you to actually, you know, when you think about something tastes good, you taste it for kind of a fleeting moment. You're like, oh my gosh, this tastes amazing. And then you move on. But no, to really taste it for the entire experience is something that no one is I mean, I shouldn't say no one, but very few people have maybe ever experienced until someone said, hey, what if you like paid attention to eating? And I, I'm giving one specific example, but this goes with every single moment of your day, of your month, of your, of your life. And for me, it was just so profound that I've begun incorporating those. I, now when I eat and I chew, I actually think of you, Dr. Kroniak. I know that sounds a bit weird, but it's true. You taught me skills 
that are going to allow me to be present in not just my meditation practice, but in all moments of my day. And I think that's super powerful because what I've begun doing over years and years and years of practice is training my mind and allowing it to be mindful. But then when I need it in different moments of time, when there are stressful times, my response to that stress is so different than it, what it was 10 years ago when I, I would just go crazy over stress. And now as things happen to me, and I got to be completely honest, when things happen that are really stressful, I'm able to like, just look at it and think about what's happening. Think about what I smell. Think about what I eat. Think about what I feel and, and I can touch. And I think I, I was never able to do that before. I mean, I had, I was never taught that. And so now I've been able to do those things through this program. So with that story, I mean, I like to kind of interject things about me because for me, this is why I love having this podcast because I can share my experiences and maybe even trigger thoughts in other people to help them and having people like you on the podcast to explain what this is because you can do it more eloquently than I can and you have a lot more training. So I'm bringing in the, the, the big dogs here, but maybe you can help under, people understand who is this exactly for? Um, because I think some people may think like, oh, this isn't for me. <laughs> sure. Um, uh, you know, I, I can sum up a lot of what, what you're asking um, in, in the following way. Uh, our minds inherently shift into autopilot all the time. And there's nothing wrong about that. We, we actually we need to be an autopilot sometimes. Uh, but it would be shocking for your listeners to realize how much they're on autopilot. You want to live your life and you want to live it richly and fully, you got to get off of autopilot. All right. For example, we have anywhere from 60 to 70,000 thoughts in a day. People actually count that. Okay. And the majority of those thoughts are nonsense. They're fictitious. But because they're in our minds, we imbue them with a sense of, of, of reality and they're just not true. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to put it this way. I'm going to, I'm going to boil it down. All right, I'm going to boil it down. We have to learn as human beings, we have to learn to be present to our bodies, to sensations. That includes emotions because emotions are biochemical processes in the body. We feel them in the body. We have to learn to be present to our bodies, our sensations and our emotions. And we have to learn to look more with more awareness, more mindfulness at our minds. So we can be skillful about what thoughts to give energy to. Okay. Because Remember, your, your attention inside your mind, your attention controls the energy information flow inside your brain. You can choose. You can choose where to put your attention. And that's one of the major things you learn in meditation. You actually have a choice. So learning to be present to stories, because we all have a, we all have a default circuit in our minds. Every person on the face of the earth has a default circuit where you're spinning a narrative. You're telling stories constantly. And they're all self-referential. And if you have learned to tell negative stories about yourself, that's what the script writer is writing. So learn to be present to thoughts or stories and learn to be present to sensations. All right. And when you can do that, when you can do that, you can eat the raisin or the fancy meal and enjoy it more. You can take the shower and enjoy it more. You can do anything with your body and enjoy it more. And you can learn to look at your mind and say, oh, look what's happening. Look where my mind is going. It's like looking at a movie screen. Look at that movie up there. What's true? What's not true? I can reality test. I can reappraise. Oh, look at that. I'm going to shift my attention away from that. I'm going to let go of that. Oh, that's okay. I'm going to, I'm going to let go of that. And this is profoundly, profoundly life-changing to be able to do that, particularly if you're dealing with some really difficult thing like anxiety or depression or cancer or, or chronic pain. All right. So it's for everybody just to live your life more fully, more richly, but it's specifically for people who are really stressed out or, or, or suffering or dealing with things that they're uh, struggling with. No, thanks for sharing that. I think it's really powerful because I, people see me as, you know, I've been an influencer in many ways. I mean, I've been, I've had a sex, successful career and I've done many different things. <laughs> and I think people look at me like, okay, that's something that Corey can only do. That's not something for me. And I, the re, I asked that question very specifically because I think it's really powerful. You know, I was raised, and I'm going to go maybe something that's very deeply personal for me. You know, I was raised in an environment. My mother, um, you know, and God bless her. I mean, she, 
you know, she's my, she's my soulmate, my, my rock. However, I realized over time that for whatever reason, and she probably learned this, but her mind, she would worry about certain things in her mind, you know, this concept of worrying. And I would always try to give her books on how, I think there's actually a book called worry. <laughs> um, you know, I think there's different, you know, practices and I always try to help her begin to meditate because I thought, you know, I traveled the world for years. She would always worry about where I was and something was going to happen to me. And it was this constant state of this. You talk about the story you play in your mind. And I'm using her as a very specific example because for those that are listening, they know that my mom passed away from glioblastoma brain cancer. Now, I'm asking, I'm, I'm probably putting you on the spot a little bit. I'm not asking for a diagnosis from anyways, but my personal belief here is that maybe her worrying and her mental state maybe contributed. And I'm not saying it was hundred percent. However, it could have contributed to a, a disease like cancer and it's maybe not even brain cancer. Maybe it could be other cancers. I mean, are there, have you come across this before where there are specific cases where they can attribute not just worrying, but like high stress in the brain to then these types of things. And I'm using a very personal example because for those that have been following my story, know that my mother was very important to me. And I know that she worried a lot in her life. And I always say, mom, like these things in a way don't really matter of what your, those stories you're telling me. And I'm using my mom, but I know there's other people out there that tell those same stories in their mind like what you said about these 60 to 70,000 thoughts we have every day and those stories we tell everybody. So I guess I'm just being a bit, bit personal because I think it's important to use that as an example um, that maybe, is there some sort of correlation? There, there's a correlation across populations. Um, you, you can never attribute um, a, a, a brain tumor uh, or any specific uh, illness in one individual uh, to stress. You can't. Um, it can, it, it can be the smoking gun. It can be a pretty obvious uh, factor only across, uh, populations or, or a sample, a sample. Can you, can you say, Hey, uh, the sample of stressed out people have this higher instance of whatever it is. So as I said earlier, uh, yes, we all have a weak link and your mother's weak link might've been cancer. Uh, and it, uh, expressed itself in that way. Um, you have a weak link. I do. We all do. Uh, but what you can say is that people who ruminate and worry obsessively, yes, they do stress themselves out uh, and they are more prone to inflammatory processes and 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 an erosion of their health and well-being. Absolutely. There's no question about that. No, I appreciate that for sharing that. Yeah, I, I, probably, I probably put you in a spot a little too much, but I think for me, I've always been curious because for me, it's like, look, I can't bring her back and it is what it is. I'm, I've accepted that. However, it's one of those things where I've always in the back of my mind wondered, maybe there was something attributed to that. Now, again, I'm not saying that was the reason, but I think through this conversation, I think it's powerful for people because my, my whole platform is to help other people live a more fulfilled, authentic life. And that means a, a, a well and um, healthy life, including for the brain. Yeah, let me let me amend what I just said too. Now yeah. I'm talking about something like like cancer. Obviously, heart disease and uh, uh, strokes and so on, uh, migraine headaches, things like that. Yes, that you can draw a very direct uh, correlation. A correlation is not causation, but you can draw a pretty direct correlation between uh, high levels of stress and hypertension and 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 heart disease and so on. Sure, absolutely. Okay. No, thank you for that. And I, I appreciate that little tangent for me. This is, that was more being selfish to try to like understand and talk into a professional. So I appreciate that. And we'll wrap up the MBSR conversation, but you had mentioned, you know, it's obviously so many different components. And I, we talked about, you know, being present in moments of eating. And you also mentioned, you know, the body scan. And for me, one of the things that was so powerful is yoga. Um, and I've found that while I've practiced meditation, and I want to talk about that here as well, because I think a lot of people are like, well, I sat for five minutes and I just couldn't do it. So then therefore I just can't meditate. So let's talk about that. But that's the second thing I want to talk about. The first one is for me, I found that yoga was the, the one of the components. I mean, you, you list a bunch of them. There's a bunch of different things in the eight week program. But for me, yoga was the perfect combination of mind body connection and being as present as I could. And I found that when I practice yoga, for me, that's the most powerful thing. Now, obviously it's different for everybody, but you know, is, do you find that, you know, there, there's one specific part of your program that people really 
maybe practice more than others. And that maybe that's something that someone listening could maybe begin, you know, doing their own research into that area. Yes. The one they prefer. (laughs) (laughs) For for you and many others, it is yoga. Uh, But you know what? We start with a body scan. uh, And for your listeners, it's simply lying down or sitting and systematically going through the body, uh, uh, getting in touch with body sensations and using the breath awareness. And then we shift into sitting meditation uh, and then into yoga. And yoga is the body scan in motion. Uh, And yoga done mindfully means you have this exquisite connection with your body and you're doing it slowly and and gently and carefully. So uh, the answer is, yeah. And, but some people love the body scan. Some people hate the body scan. And what (laughs) what I say to people, if you remember is you don't have to like the practice. It'll work anyway. Just do it because you're training your mind and learning how to be, again, not just aware, but to be compassionate. The, the MBSR program is a profoundly compassionate program. It, it's all about uh, developing the capacity to practice awareness and compassion for your body, your mind, your life situation, and obviously then extend it to others, okay? So, um, yeah, whatever. And then at the end of the program, I say, hey, whatever practice you enjoy, whatever keeps you going, do it. Do it and, and develop that. Yeah, no, I love how you said that because I remember my example of working out and wellness. And I have a lot of people that say, oh, I hate to run or I hate to go to the gym. It's so interesting. I'm, again, they're, they're training their mind to use the word hate. But, um, you know, I think that's what you said is powerful. You don't have to like love the practice, but if you do it and if you understand the benefits of it, it's going to, again, going back to this more fulfilled life that we talked about at the very beginning and throughout the conversation Um, it's one of those things where it's kind of like, if you know, you go to the gym and you can run for 20 minutes or run outside, that's going to help you in many different ways. So it's kind of the same thing, right? I mean, we're, you're, you're practicing and putting in the time. It's going to pay off. Yeah. You know, look, I, I want to be clear to your listeners, MBSR meditation, mindfulness, it's, it's not a panacea. It's not a cure-all. Um, it is the most fundamental, uh, life skill that, that exists. I mean, the capacity to be present in your mind and your body, what's more fundamental than that? Uh, it's not a panacea, uh, however, but you know what? I, I just just finished my 125th class. I no, I forget. Wow. Uh, I mean, it's a lot, a lot yeah, of congratulations, man. I mean, um, what you're doing is amazing. But uh, my 131st, sorry, 131st class. Um, but and the response I get consistently is, "This changed my life," and and I I quickly say to them, "You changed your life." Okay, I taught you something. That, that's great, but you you changed your life, and and that's the consistent uh, response I get. And then what I say is, now keep doing it. Find a way to, to keep doing it. Okay. What do you say, real quick? This will be kind of a, we'll wrap it up here. But what do you say to people that you know, like I I hear this all the time. Like Corey, I know you meditate. I sat for three minutes and my mind like couldn't even focus. So then I just got up because I, I couldn't achieve what you achieve. Like, what do you, what do you tell people when they say that? Cause I think that's a very basic thing that people kind of dabble in something like this. And then they, they realize they don't really understand what they're trying to do. And then they give up and just don't do it again. You know, the very first sitting we have in the program, I say, well, you know, uh, anyone's mind not wandered. Come see me after class. You're brain dead. You don't know it. Um, everyone minds wander. Everyone's mind wanders all the time. All right. And so when someone says, "Oh my gosh, I can't do it. I can't do it," what they're saying is, "I, I tried to do something that's impossible. I tried to make my mind stop thinking." You know, you you cannot do that. You can learn to allow your mind to settle and quiet down, but you'll never stop the spontaneous generation of thoughts. That happens a few minutes after you're dead. Uh, so what I say to them is, remember, this is not about achieving anything. This is about holding up a mirror to what's actually happening inside your mind and your body. It's not about making anything happen. And paradoxically, something very powerful does happen, but not by trying to make something happen. People bring an achievement orientation into the class all the time because that's what got them into the problem in the first place of getting stressed out. And then they come in and they have to learn to put that away. And that's the very that's the first lesson and the most important lesson of meditation. Don't I try think- to make something happen. Yeah, no, that's really powerful. I honestly, I'm, I'm raising my hand as you state that, because for me, that's, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I'm a very goal oriented and driven human being. And for me, it was all about what result am I going to get? I need to right. achieve something. And I write down a goal and I achieve that because it's on paper. And I think it's almost like a complete 180 and reverse of right. what we've been taught to do. And I think if anything, you've been listening to this podcast, the one thing that hopefully you take away from this is that 
there isn't necessarily a goal with sitting and being present. It's just allowing those thoughts and, 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 fe- and feelings even to take place. Right, even right. in great moments of my mother's death, I think MBSR was probably one of the most powerful things I could have done to go through that process. It didn't mean I need to block out what happened. It meant mm-hmm. I need to be present in every single moment. And you said something earlier about even the tough moments in life. And I think that's something that I carry with me in every moment is mm-hmm. this is something that's happening I now can use those things that I practice to allow me to be as present as possible. And not to say it helped me grieve faster. That's not what I'm saying. It just, I was able to feel and be in all those moments versus going backwards in time and wishing and wanting and worrying about the future. I was able to just appreciate what was happening in those moments. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you, do you want me to offer your listeners a really uh, quick breathing exercise? Absolutely. Yeah, let's do let's, it. Let's do that. Sure, sure. I just call this the deep breath pause release. So, okay, listener, just however you're sitting, if you can just sit upright, all right, or if you're lying down, whatever position you're in, okay, and, and you too, Corey. So you can have your eyes open or closed, doesn't matter. And breathing through your nose, just taking a deep in breath, pausing at the top of the breath for a few seconds, then long, slow exhalation through your nose. The longer, the better, long, slow, controlled exhalation. And when you're done with that one, another deep in breath, pause at the top of the breath, a few seconds, as long as you want. Long, slow exhalation, long, slow exhalation. When you're done with that one, another one. And on the out breath, bringing all of your awareness into the torso of your body, and you'll actually feel your body sinking, sinking a little bit down into the chair, Let's do another one, deep in breath, pause, long, slow out breath and feel your body sinking, releasing, feel the chair, the floor holding you, feel the earth holding you, supporting you as you breathe out, as you release. Let's just one more together, deep in breath. Long, slow release, 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 let the earth hold you. So I just call it deep breath, pause, release, obviously. And, and what it does is it activates the parasympathetic response through the vagus nerve and what you're doing with the muscles in your, in your chest. And that long slow exhalation also, by bringing your awareness into your body and focusing on your body, you're giving your mind a break, a small break. And so if you do nothing more today than do the deep breath, pause, release throughout the day, every half an hour, every hour, you'll lower your cortisol production. So I offer that to you. Wow, that was amazing. Thank you so much for offering that. Hopefully, if you were driving or something or running, hopefully you're able to maybe pause this and pull off the side of the road or pause your running mm-hmm. and, and do this. Um, it, it, you know, that's how, how simple that was. It takes like 30 seconds to 60 seconds mm-hmm. and you're practicing mindfulness. But we're not taught to do it. We're not taught to do it. So there you go. And particularly in a stressful situation or when you're about to become reactive. Mm. Okay. Oh, deep breath. Oh, quick. Let me breathe. Let me breathe. I love that. It's kind of similar to right. Counting to 10 or things that we've heard, right? right? It's the same type of thing. It's just using your breath. But this directly activates the parasympathetic response. So it, it slows you down. I love that. Thank you so much for that little exercise, getting little freebies here in the podcast today. So Dr. Kroniak, can you explain just briefly your practice and how people can find you? Because I think this is powerful. I mean, if anybody's been interested through this conversation and maybe you, you, you understand now something different than what you, you really thought about before, I mean, Dr. Kroniak's programs are really powerful. Obviously, like I said, at the very beginning, probably one of the most influential things that I've done to help me live a more fulfilled life. So maybe you can help the listeners here of how can they find you, um, you know, and maybe even inquire about, you know, what you do. Okay. Well, uh, if you go to my website, theinsightcenter.com, T-H-E, insightcenter.com, you'll find me. Um, I am starting an MBSR program online, virtually on Zoom, uh, starting May 1. But you know what? Um, Probably no one's teaching MBSR in person yet. I'll start again, I hope, in the fall. 
uh, I would encourage anyone out there uh, to take the MBSR program, not necessarily for me, but anyone. Uh, just Google MBSR and whatever city you're near, and you'll you'll probably find someone who teaches. Um, be happy to have you uh, contact me about my virtual program if you want, because you can be anywhere and take it. But when people are teaching again in person, take the program if you can. All right, wherever you are, uh, it's so, so powerful. It's so life-changing for people. So you can do that. But yeah, if you want to look me up, theinsightcenter.com. And for those on Apple podcast right now, if you swipe up, you'll actually see all the show notes. And I'm going to put a link to his program that you can click on and go directly to his website. And then you can inquire if you're interested. And you can always reach out to me. I'll put my email address about my experience, Corey at CoreyCalvin.com. And I can share with you Honestly, you know, Dr. Kroniak has been an amazing influencer in my life, whether he probably knew it or not, but I, I'm so I'm so happy we could have this conversation. You know, one of the things that he offers his former students is he does he leads an all-day retreat and he invites all of his alums from his programs to come back for free, which is amazing. And it's something that I actually was gonna try to do with the last one I wasn't able to do, but I'm gonna probably do the next virtual one because I think for me as a constant reminder of why this is so powerful for the rest of my life. It's not just something I'm going to do for like six months. This is something I'm going to do for the rest of my life because I understand the benefit. You know, for, for those of you that are listening that want something similar in their lives or are dealing with some sort of medical issue um, or just a stressful moment, this is something you should strongly consider in fact, I think this is actually a must do in your life. If this isn't on your bucket list, you know, people talk about traveling to a certain destination and the MBSR program should be on everyone's bucket list. And I definitely highly, highly recommend Dr. Kroniak's program. He's an awesome guy. You can listen to him here, but you know, Dr. Kroniak, thanks so much for taking time out of your day. I know you're a busy guy. I know you're leading different programs. I know you and your wife have developed this insight center or the Insight Center in Chicago, and it's helped, you know, hundreds and thousands of people around the world now. And I'm just so honored that I've had a chance to interact with you and we can continue to interact. And I know I'll be at one of your next all-day retreats. So thanks again for taking time out of your day. And um, hopefully the listeners, um, you know, were able to pull away some amazing nuggets to take with them. Corey, thank you so much for the invitation. It's been fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening again to another episode of the Corey Calvin Podcast. I hope you subscribe to this podcast to get this delivered directly to your device when new episodes are released. And if you haven't left a review, please do so. It will really help me grow this podcast and help others discover me. If you would like to work with me in any way, please visit my website, CoreyCalvin.com, and connect with me. I'd love to hear from you. Until my next episode, take care and be well. Cheers.